everybody. Happy New Week. Hope you're doing amazing. I am very excited to be coming off our 45th retreat where we saw 22 authors uh, smash out some books. So there'll be more books coming out at Christmas. But right now we have got one of our authors who's hot off the press, uh, Vanshika Vermani from Sydney. Um, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Natasha. I'm good, thank you. How are you going? Excellent. I can't wait to talk to you. you your book is unique. Um, um, within this niche of the types of books we've helped people do, uh, this is the first one in this uh, area that has been written through our company, of course. So let me give everyone um, the official introduction. So what I might do while I'm doing that, you guys, I'm going to share Vanchika's book uh, cover so that you can see it here on the screen and um oops um and then i'll um i'll read out her gorgeous bio all right so and then shika vermani is the author of my fight against the invisible beast she has written the, uh, the book because she has had atypical anorexia nervosa for the past nine years however she was not on underweight um, she eats every single day and has never been hospitalized for an eating disorder. While struggling with anorexia, Vanshika completed a Bachelor of Actuarial Studies and Commerce and now works full time. Uh, in summary, she does not fit the stereotypical image of someone who's suffering from anorexia nervosa. So Vanshika decided to write the book to create great awareness of eating disorders and share the things she has learned through her experience. So throughout her book, she's trying to show that eating disorders are more common than people realize. And importantly, that there is hope in life despite the diagnosis of an illness that has such frightening connotations. Um, and she is not a psychologist and she doesn't have a science background. She's merely talking through her own experience of living with an eating disorder. All right, so well done and congratulations. What a brave step to take to so share this with the world. So tell me how long, when did the idea of writing a book on this topic? Obviously you, you've had it for nine years. When did yeah. it come, you know, that I should write a book on this? <laughs> That's a very good question. So for me, it was actually early last year, so January of last year. So I still fight, like, struggle to believe that one and a half years later, I have like a book in my hand, and it looks exactly like I had ever imagined. <laughs> I love it. So about January last year, and so that's eighteen months ago. Um, you and I um, uh, worked in, through the publishing journey. Like we published the book. You didn't do one of our signature retreats. Um, so the writing process, how long did that take you before we obviously met and had a conversation about, you know, hey, now we need to publish this book? <laughs> I think it took me six months, but when I did reach out to chat with you, I had only finished my script. Like I was maybe like halfway, three quarters through my script. I kind of just wanted a little bit of like guidance in that scenario where I was like, should I continue going along with this? Um, how does this look like? That's why I reached out to you a little bit earlier within my writing journey. Yeah, beautiful. And you actually had a session with Stuart as far as I can recall where you guys organized a little bit the content and the structure so that it became what it is today, yeah? That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. So tell me a little bit, I just for other people writing on their own, because it is a lonely journey, I think, when people are doing it independently, it requires a lot of discipline. What was your, um, how long, how often did you focus on the writing? Let's say it took six months, say, 
before we had a chat, I think, or to complete writing it. Did you allocate blocks of time or when did you write um, and work on your manuscript? I think I would probably do like half an hour to an hour before I went to sleep, but it was also like very ad hoc in nature um, because at that time I was very uncertain about whether I even wanted to publish. So it was more for my own benefit for the first like two or three months, I'd say. So, and on an as needed basis. And then after that, once I started the publishing journey, it became a little bit more like systematic um, and more organized. So yeah, not that often in the first six months and then a bit more like frequent and more systematic. After Once that. you make the commitment, it gets real, doesn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, I find that like people have notes in a million different places and they're maybe just doing it as a journal or a healing process. Um, and But when you make a commitment that, yes, I am going to publish this book, all of a sudden it's like, well, now the job needs to get done because there's also like, you know, the commitment financially and all that sort of stuff. So um, well done. I think that's how you finish books. You make a commitment to someone else. <laughs> And you're like, you, you get them out there in the world and you, you did a wonderful job being more on your own. As I said, you had Stuart and then a publishing um, team to support you, but um, beautiful. I absolutely love your cover and what it stands for. So let's talk a little bit about the topic and what's inside the book, you know, and um, your journey or, you know, what you've, your, what kind of you've been through. So talk to me a little bit about um, what are some of the hidden signs from the perspective of someone struggling with an eating disorder? What can it look like? You know, maybe some people are struggling, they just don't know. Um, yeah, so for me, I guess the hidden signs are when you're, so anorexia has some like stereotypes associated with it. Maybe stereotypes isn't the right word, but um, people think that it can, comes from social media. For me, it was just like a diet that went wrong. So hidden signs for me was extreme obsession with my diet that I wanted to implement and extreme anxiety when I wasn't able to follow it on one day. So like lack of flexibility. Um, but then hidden signs would probably be lying to my parents and family um, and as well as like throwing away food or um, saying I've eaten when I haven't eaten uh, before then no one actually had reasons to like doubt what I was saying so it wasn't like they were they had a reason to start being like oh she's probably buying but for me if someone's struggling like with eating initially like they say no constantly and then all of a sudden the arguments subside I'd be a bit concerned if someone's like extremely into dieting and get extremely anxious when they can't go out to exercise more on one day and are not as flexible. I think I just start asking questions. That doesn't necessarily mean they have an eating disorder. It's just when I'd be like, okay, do I have to ask other questions? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting the th points that you bring up, you know, for people to kind of think, am I doing that? You know, like, because sometimes you don't know what you don't know and exactly. the whole purpose of writing this book was maybe to bring awareness with someone who might be thinking am I struggling with this and am I doing things that might be on borderline and what would be an eating disorder because as you said in your as we read out in your introduction you know you were never underweight but it is that um uh, it sounds like it's that obsession of perfectionism as well and following something and then, as you say, lying or, or doing um, things around your family that are kind of not, shouldn't, that, that we shouldn't be doing, right? 
Yeah, I think that's uh, exactly right. And I think the two things that I want people to take away, maybe I'm going into your next question. Um, but yeah. So the first thing that I really want people to take away is that like exercising does have some, like not exercising, but dieting and excessive exercise has some disadvantages. Obviously it has a lot of advantages and benefits everyone's very aware of, but you also need to be aware of the fact that I think dieting like gives you six times to eight times, puts you at six to eight times more on, of a risk of developing an eating disorder. Um, it's along those lines. The numbers may not be exactly correct, but I feel like people aren't aware of that when they make that decision again it's not a right or wrong decision it's just something to be aware of that's probably my biggest takeaway from this entire journey yeah yeah that's um that's and, and that's true because um you know ultimately you just go there's a healthy diet but like what's the difference between the word diet when it's just a normal normal eating versus the one that's very i guess regimented and and things like that would you say that's the like the ones that are really like, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that, you know, to, uh, you know, control cal calories. That's the ones kind of to stay away from rather than like healthy way of, I guess, living your life. I think it's more like when you notice the way that it makes you feel. If you feel that on one day when you can't follow that particular diet, you're okay with yourself, then that's yeah. probably all right. But if you're thinking yeah. that your entire life seems to be planned around that specific diet, whether it be um, going out with someone, a friend or a family, and you're finding yourself saying no constantly to those things, um, or you get like anxiety because you've eaten a piece of cake, that's probably when I'd be concerned. When it starts, when food starts having a moral value, essentially, um, that's probably the time where you start being like, you know, eating a piece of cake has not made me a bad person. Why am I starting to feel this way? Is it time for me to maybe take a break? Um, yeah. yeah, that's really good. That's a good way to differentiate it because, um, um, yeah, like people can say particular things or stay away from their social life because there's, there's certain things that they can't do when they go out with people socially, which starts to affect how you operate your mental health in that way. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the challenges in recovering from an eating disorder? Um, and um, why is it worth the hard work that it requires? Like, I guess you, you've been going forward. And would you say right now you're still like you're kind of in a recovery and like you're working on it every day? Uh, definitely. So I guess I'll start with the challenges first. The biggest challenge for me was recognizing that I was sick. Um, one of so the reason I call it manipulative is it doesn't always feel like what you're doing is incorrect. Um, so you start questioning whether you actually need assistance, especially because like psychological assistance can be expensive, it can be time consuming, it's a high level of commitment. So that part of your illness that by nature will try and convince you that you actually don't need to be able to like eat flexibly, um, eat the I'm going to use that with connected connotation marks, junk food. It's fine if you can't eat a piece of pizza without feeling horrible about yourself. Um, all of those words make it a challenge. But at the same time, unfortunately, there's also a diagnosis issue. Um, atypical anorexia, particularly because by definition, you're not, you don't actually, you're not clinically underweight. Um, that 
creates problems with a diagnosis. So sometimes you actually have to fight for yourself to be like, I know, and I talk about this in my actual book as well. Um, once I, when I was, I think 14, 15, I started with a higher weight. So for me, being underweight was actually higher than BMI definition of underweight. Um, but like, if you looked at me physically, I do question why the doctor didn't diagnose me with an eating disorder or anorexia. Um, there are many reasons for that. But essentially what I'm trying to say is I had to get to a point where I had to educate myself and be like, no, I feel all the symptoms. I had to go to a GP and be like, no, I definitely need to see a psychologist. Can you please give me a referral? There were no issues with that. They did give me a referral, but that was the challenge. Then came the challenge of finding the right person for me. I had to go see two, three people. Um, once I reached the psychologist point, they were like, oh, yeah, you definitely have an eating disorder. I'm not sure why it wasn't picked up. Probably just because, like, it requires a level of, like, expertise to be able to identify those signs. Um, so then, yeah, once I even got to my first psychologist, a few weeks later, I was like, this isn't working for me. So being able to be like, okay, that doesn't mean you're wrong. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. Just means I have to, like, try again. <laughs> that
Uh, but also your book is a wonderful resource for someone to read a story through someone who's lived it and what they did to uh, get an inspiration and some insights, you know, behind the scenes. So what are some things, what else do you talk about um, in your book? What are people, what are people likely to learn and understand as they read your book? So my book is basically an honest transcript of the thoughts that go through in that I would go through in very specific circumstances. So um, I think, yes, even initially when I was going through anorexia and I had no idea about it, I talked through some of the thoughts that went through my brain and why I genuinely thought I wasn't doing anything wrong. Um, so if I'm a carer, it would help me be like, oh, this is why the person is doing what they're doing. Um, but then I think my probably my most favorite part and my most impactful part would probably be some of the challenges I went through in recovery. Um, it's the validation aspect because I know in my initial attempts what used to stop me was being like I'm the only one who is struggling. I go through certain scenarios that I experienced very openly being like I think once I was trying out ice cream um, with one of my friends and I had a panic attack after having the ice cream and I talked through that and how my friend and I navigated the scenario so for someone who's going through an eating disorder like for someone who's not going through an eating disorder the idea of getting so panicked just having an ice cream is very different but for someone who is going through it it's like oh someone else struggles with this as well I'm not the only one it's that validation but then to motivate you I talk through what my reasons were so I talk through like stories of really special days in my life and how they were tainted by my eating disorder and I'm like oh this is why I had to recover this is my list maybe take this as an inspiration um so yeah I think those are the moments where I think that people can get things. There's also a section where it's like, what did I find people saying helpful to me? So if you're caring for someone with an eating disorder, I talk through what helped and what definitely doesn't help and why that doesn't help. So it's not about accusing anyone at all because that's that's not that's pointless and it's really mean because it's a really complex situation and scenario. Um, it's just about explaining why certain actions are less helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I mean, um, I just, yeah, thinking of it from that perspective, there could be a lot of parents out there or people who live with others that they might be concerned about as well. So it's not just a book uh, about the person that potentially has the eating disorder, but the people that support them and maybe also the people that might be suspicious that someone in their family has an eating disorder, they could read through and maybe recognise some signs and have, gentle conversations to help guide them to the right support. That's right. I think that's probably my main target market. And I would say that someone with actually struggling with an eating disorder is probably my secondary target market. Because yeah. when you're reading that, you have to be a little bit more careful and you have to see where you are in the recovery process about whether you're ready to talk about like hear about certain symptoms you may not necessarily be experiencing because it can be a competitive illness so yeah for those struggling I think I'd say please read it with caution read it if you feel you're ready to read it for those who are caring or feel that you know you're suspicious of someone with an eating disorder I'd please like request you to definitely read it because I feel like it will be a helpful resource because yeah it might give you a bit of insight about what's going through your child's brain um because they might be in the scenario where they're not ready to talk about it as openly i know i definitely wasn't ready four or five years ago even yeah 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 
and it's not just children, is it? It's it can be adults who probably maybe have had it for a long, long time uh, mm-hmm. uh, and gone undetected, and um, it might kind of show those signs that you know that you explain in the book that may have been suspicions, but they again people don't know what they don't know, um, and they could recognise that. So yeah absolutely i think yeah you're absolutely right your primary target market would be support people and families you know who have someone because perhaps the person who is in it um is struggling and just kind of doesn't know but like also may not be open to support or help as yet that's right when did you know when did you know that you wanted help and kind of put your hand up how far in um, that's a very good question. So I think the first time I suspected I had an eating disorder was when I was 14, 15. Um, and I reached out. So I picked it up through a book as well. Um, it just had a list of symptoms that I was like, oh my gosh, I fit every single one of them. Um, went out to a counsellor. She was very forceful about making me see a psychologist. I wasn't ready at that point to get anyone involved. So it basically meant that I took a step back and I was like, okay, I need to make like some changes so I can survive, but I'm not going to see anyone. So then I think I like survived the next two or three years in what we call quasi-recovery which is where you're eating enough to survive but you're literally living your entire life on eggshells anything slightly difficult in your life will throw you over very specific foods you're eating very rigid lifestyle but you're surviving um what happened with me after that though is I think I failed an exam or maybe not even fail I she just got 2% less than I needed or wanted and that threw me over completely. Um, it meant that I was struggling to eat at all and that's when I had to be like, okay, this is out of my control. That's when I realised it was anorexia um, and that was probably just two or three years ago. Okay. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. All right, so how was the publishing process? You know, you made a commitment, you had the time with Stuart and then how has it been, you know, like, you know, in terms of the assistance that you know, um, you've had with Vivian, Julie, and, um, you know, um, you're one of our youngest authors, I would have to say. We normally, you know, our authors are 45 plus, usually maybe sometimes also in their 60s, but, um, you know, for such a young person to step up and go, you know, have the courage to write, and I think I told you this when we are talking originally, you know, so how did you go? How did you find it all? It was really, really amazing. So like I said, um, I had no like author experience, never had even considered writing a book. Um, It made my life so much easier because I had someone who was like, not like who would follow up on me in terms of like, deadlines or requests in terms of okay the transcript is ready and we started reviewing and editing and I really needed that push because it wasn't the only thing that I was focusing on as well and again just lack of level of experience lack of confidence all of those factors combined you do require a little bit of a push as well as just technical assistance so obviously the technical assistance in itself is amazing which is why the book is here (laughs) but I think for me what was um otherwise amazing was just like the emotional support maybe yeah the continuous push motivation um yeah so it was very helpful I always say I always say psychologically the support by working with people who have been through it with many authors is greater value than the logistical part 
Um, mm -hmm. Up until our budding authors who come to our initial seminar, you know, it's all well and good. Like anyone can learn how to do something or process. However, the mental funk, the psychology behind becoming an author, especially when it's your first time, um, you know, that, you know, putting ourselves out there, you know, sharing something that's quite vulnerable, that takes a lot of courage. And I'm glad that you said that because um, I do believe that, you know, we do, uh, most of our job is, you know, uh, coaching and, um, you know, I've got a psychology degree. So I've done a lot of mindset kind of stuff to, you know, to understand that what goes on for people. And it's mostly that, that's that the fears and the, you know, doubts. And this is where people sometimes start to tinker at the last stages, like they start to find things <laughs> that are not perfect and not let go. And that's all mindset. So well yeah. done. I, I, you, you went through the journey quite smoothly, you know, from what um, the girls in publishing have told me. I know you've had interactions with Stuart and all that. And it's a beautiful book. So um, congratulations. And I hope that this uh, interview, however you're listening to it, whether it's live or on YouTube or on a podcast, that if you think someone around in your life may need support or maybe they're acting a little bit strange, go and read a book, you know, do the research because, um, you know, ignorance is not bliss, knowledge is power and you can do something to change someone's life significantly. So um, where can people buy your book? Um, where do you have it? Um, um, where, where is it um, available? Um, so currently it's available on Amazon. So it's available on Kindle in, term, in an ebook format as well as like the physical copy. Yeah, I've got it up here. I'm just sharing my screen. Um, so we've got it up here on Amazon. So if you just go there and uh, put in my fight against the invisible beast, you can see your paperback and Kindles available and all your good online reseller um, stores as well, guys, um, will have it. So you might find it on Goodreads, um, uh, Barnes and Noble, Booktopia and all that. Amazon's your main one. Um, but um, yeah, go, go get a copy or at least download an e-version of it. And here's another closer up look um, on and the cover. I love your cover. It's nice and simple and clean and um, kind of the depiction of, um, you know, someone being obsessed of, uh, you know, with, uh, with weight and kind of what it, uh, what it means and all that sort of stuff. So you've done a beautiful job, I, I have to say. So uh, well done, well done. And, um, and, you know, good luck. I mean, you've been working alongside all of this full time um and getting it out there and um i know in the future i hope you're gonna write more books because they truly do change lives and with a book like this you literally will be saving people's lives and improving their quality of lives thank you thank you so much <laughs> guys well that was um Chika vimani with her amazing inspirational book um you know go out there and support her um, or uh, pass it on, pass the information to someone who may need it. So have a wonderful week, everybody. And as always, go and smash it out. Bye, guys.